This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio for episode number 1210. And I don't actually have a title as of yet. I can give you a podcast title, Wikipedia. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Uh, So what do we do? Um, Who, what, where, which? Yeah, good. <laughs> That's our, t- our title for today. Because we had we do have a bit of a wicked theme going on today. That's right. I, I hadn't realised that until I sat down yeah. and put it all together. It's going to be a real cracker. I'm very excited about today's show. Hmm. Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And off we go. <laughs> oh, I'd like to um, also say, uh, don't do Cheerios and highs too much on Triple on R. But this is Triple R relevant because um, a, a couple of weeks ago I had lunch with the Vietnam trip people. Oh, nice. So, so like, you know, that was 2012. Yeah. It was 2018. I thought that was a lot of, it was quite cool to actually do that. Not that we actually had Vietnamese food for lunch, but never mind. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, oh, uh, speaking of old friends, um, remember that, that short film we talked about and had an interview with Thalamos? Oh, uh, yeah. Next Saturday at 10am, they're screaming, screaming, <laughs> screening at the North Ballerine Film Festival as part of uh, a short film block in the Potato Shed in Drysdale. Awesome. Uh, that's actually a free screening. And after that, they're going to be at Monster Fest. Cool. Which is the annual uh, monstrous film festival, which um, we've had dealings with in, in the past. Indeed. Great sort of roundup of films there. Um, so, yeah, that Philemos has gone from strength to strength. They've been overseas quite a few times too. Amazing. Short films from Australia, going places. I know, it's exciting. Yeah. And even, uh, I think on uh, Saturday the 1st of December, the band Hearts and Rockets, which provided songs for the film, they got a gig out in the old bar in Fitzroy. Oh, cool. So it's like, uh, sort of these things that sort of filter through. So, right, uh, Connections, Doctor Who. Mm. The, oh, I've got to pronounce this properly, uh, Suranga. Mm. Suranga, Conundrum. Um, which is the fifth episode of the 11th season of Doctor Who. And Chris Chibnall wrote the story. And it's directed by Jennifer Perrot, who's an Australian director who Aww. went over there to do this. And another um, episode. I'd like to find out more about what she's yeah, done in Australia. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and um, in this episode, uh, they went off-world. Mm. Um, they were on a junkyard planet and they set off a sonic mine. Now, if you've got a sonic screwdriver, you'd think you'd scan for those sorts of things. I know, but, you know, where would our story be if <laughs> that was right. the case? That's right. And uh, then they found themselves on, dum-dum-dum, an ambulance ship. Mm. So this is last week's episode and we are totally spoiling it. Yes, so you've had a week to watch. But you've actually, you have actually watched the next episode yes. this morning. So I'm ahead of Rob today. You're ahead of me on Doctor <laughs> Who. Oh, my God, look at you. But I'm not going to talk about that one, obviously, because we'll save that for next week. Thank you. But you can tell us whether it's good or not. I did enjoy it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's another, it's, it's in the um, vibe of, a histo- it's a historical episode. Uh-huh. All right, well, we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about last week's episode. Um, I thought this was a very strong story. This is one of my favourite types of episode, like the old spaceship bottle show mm-hmm. with the 
problem you got to solve um yeah I, so i was very i thought that's kind of the vibe it was going to be just looking at kind of the little thumbnail yeah. and so yeah i really enjoyed the story it's just about my favorite science fiction scenario yeah exactly um, ambulance ships and mm. hospital space stations yeah i just uh, for everything else that we i deal with in science fiction and you know there's a lot of horror involved and and fighting and stuff but this one I like that that sort of uh, gentler side. Yeah, yeah. Not that medicine is necessarily all that gentle. No, but I think it's it's shifting kind of the focus to it's like there's a lot of different roles that people play in these kinds of stories mm. and the medic role is a very important one. Yeah. Uh, one of the, um, the medics on board this hospital ship, and there's only two crew, mm-hmm. um, gets killed early on, which is an interesting reversal because I thought they were going to make him the main character. And I did like that he was very much portrayed as sort of a good man and then... You know, it was kind of... It happened very early on, but I think it was kind of setting it up for mm. the second medic to really take things in stride. And I kind of like that little mini story. Yeah. Um, there's an alien creature on board this uh, ambulance ship that's causing problems. It's a pating. It's so cute. <laughs> it's a cute thing. <laughs> but like many cute monsters in Doctor Who, it's absolutely lethal. Yes. Completely dangerous, but not to, not to actually organics but to the fabric of the ship and is this a new this is a new creature not seen one before okay. no it's, it seems to be new uh, although the doctor has had um dealings with medical facilities before although the doctor something <laughs> saying he or she the doctor has often stressed that uh, their medical degree is purely honorary yes <laughs> <laughs> so, but does often does um mm. things anyway in the in the realm of first aid at least uh, there's um, lots of different tropes running through this. Mm. There's other patients on board the ship. There's a hyper-fast pregnancy. Yes, I did enjoy that storyline. Male pregnancy. And I liked how it was handled too. I think there was a bit to unpack there with Ryan's backstory, obviously, so they've used yep. it to tie into his, his stuff with his dad. But I also did like the idea that it was just treated as... It's like as if it was just a female pregnancy, and I kind of yeah. liked that Shades of a show called Alien Nation. <laughs> it's set in the 67th century, as the doctor says, a bit tricky in the middle, but turns out all right in the end. <laughs> I love that. Her throwaway lines are the best sometimes. They, I think they're actually getting better and better. Like she says, she's seen all 900 casts of performances Hamilton. of Hamilton. <laughs> Uh, and Graham has been watching Call the Midwife but turns away during the squeamish bits. <laughs> oh, I like Graham more and more every episode. <sighs> Are we going to get an episode? Because everybody seems to be getting their episode. Uh, the, the Today's one that's just dropped is, is um, about uh, Yasmin's grandmother. In India. Um, so are we going to get a bus driving episode for Graham? A whole bus driving episode? I hope so. I think he should have his time to shine. <laughs> um, I thought the ending was was really moving. Mm. Uh, and, and once again, they, they actually... It's just a bit of a fixation of this fifth season. They actually went to a funeral. Yeah. Or a service. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like the way that they're doing that, the consequences of these things. Um I thought there were more, so many tropes in this beyond the, there was the VR, virtual reality piloting of the ship. Yep. Um, we had a, a military, a decorated military hero who the Doctor geeked out at first over, which is unusual for the Doctor. Yeah. Not really. But it was reciprocated it as was well. Reciprocated. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that flipping of the role. I mean, it's quite, it's pretty black and white, but in the, you know, the, the decorated um, colonel, I can't, I'm sorry. 
might have got that wrong. But the decorated Admiral, kind of, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was um, you know a strong female character, and then obviously the pregnancy on board because it's a male pregnancy. So there was that side of things, and it wasn't a big. It wasn't made a big thing of. But cool. I like that they're just playing with those roles a little bit. Yeah, I I have heard of some fan reaction to this season. Obviously by now. Mm. Um, and there's a strain of it. It's, oh, it's too politically correct. And I just thought, have you never watched Doctor Who and I before? Don't, I think it's just because it's doing a lot of things that should be portrayed on TV. Yeah. And sometimes people take that as shows trying to be politically correct. But it's, yeah, that's, a, that's another discussion. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's, it's like people say the same thing about Star Trek too sometimes. Mm. You think, have you never watched Star Trek before? I mean, science, one of science fiction's roles is to be able to delve into some of that yeah. stuff and from to, a different angle. To make us better people, yeah. I think. Yeah, so... And pish. To, I say pish to that. Pish, but not pating. No. <laughs> oh, it was so cute. The machine that goes pating. <laughs> I love the way that Yasmin football kicked it away yeah. at one stage. I really thought it might eat that android. Yeah, I thought there might be something about that involved but in they that. Didn't, they, they didn't really go, go down that path. That's fine. No, no. So, yeah, I look. I, I really enjoyed that episode and I was moved by the ending and, mm. and I thought, yeah, this is... All right. Yeah. One line I loved in particular where the doctor says that whole worlds pivot on acts of imagination. Yeah. That was so lyrical and so so much the doctor. So, yeah, I, I'm okay with yeah. so far. And um, there have been some standout episodes and some uh, ones that haven't, haven't quite hit the heights. But it's five episodes. Mm. Where is the impatience coming from? Is I it, know. Is it a Netflix thing, like free episodes and you're out sort it of could, thing? It could be. But I'm really enjoying it so far. I mean, it's done a lot of different things and I've liked that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like the diversity. So you have an opinion from a noob? Yes, I've, I'm, I'm liking it a lot. And I don't know if that's – it's because it's, it's also very palatable for someone who's new. Um, I am interested in knowing what other, you know, very hardcore fans think about the new season compared with their experience. But as someone who's watching it for the first time, I quite enjoy it. Well, I've already watched that. Next available episode. Yeah, so, and as somebody who's been watching Doctor Who since the nineteen sixties, um, I have no problems at all. But I, I, I'm enjoying it. I, I think it's it's all feeling a bit fresh to me. And there's a strong ensemble at the core, which I think mm. I always really relate and gravitate to those shows, uh, like Buffy, Firefly, all the good kind of genre shows. In my opinion, have a really good core ensemble around, you know, a central hero or whatever. Um, and I think that's what I'm liking about this a lot is that I like those relationships between. The, the only problem that you can have with that is that um, because there's so many people on board the TARDIS this time out, mm. um, it means that uh, you, while you're dealing with all of their characters, you've got to you've got to really be on your toes with the writing of the story because there's a lot of people of service in terms yeah. of the, the character arcs. You don't want anyone to get lost. But you've got to have new people coming in for these individual standalone stories and it takes time to build yeah. them up. I think they've done that well though in terms of incorporating episode solo episode characters. Mm-hmm. So so far. Yeah. I think so too. I, I, I would like to see a longer episode, like a two-parter, mm. just to see how yes, they handle that. Yeah, to that. see a two-parter. And, and I think they might actually um, manage to kick even more <laughs> patine goals mm. with um, a two-parter. But we'll see. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I come from a time when Doctor Who, they were like 12 parters at some stage, and, and they were so interminably long with so much padding, yeah. people getting um, captured and then released and people getting knocked out. and then. Yeah. You, know, it was just, you need a medium between that and yeah. 
and having these short episodes all the time. Um, f- I've often thought that the, the ideal length of a Doctor Who story, but this wasn't like, a, like on a weekly night sort of thing, was four episodes. Mm. If you're going to play them f- four nights a week, then a four-episode serial was a good good fit. Yeah. But this is a different paradigm. We're only playing it, it once a week on the... You know, on the I think it shifted actually. Anyway, the uh, latest episode is on tonight. Um, roughly close to six o'clock, more or less. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we'll see how we go next week with Doctor Who. All right. Um, I thought I'd play a David Bowie track that was um, kind of related to uh, witchcraft. <gasps> yeah. Many things that David Bowie wrote. And, and saying a lot to do with the occult. <laughs> At one stage, he had his um, indoor pool um, exorcised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what was the story? Um, he was in a house that had owned was um, formerly owned by exotic dancer Gypsy Rose Lee, and she had a, a pentagram on the bottom of the pool, and he <laughs> freaked him. Out. This is one of his times when he was easily freaked out for. Um, Pharmacological reasons, <laughs> uh, you know, and there's all this stuff about um, the the occultist Alistair Crowley mm. immortalised in the character in Supernatural's name, <laughs> and all these other things that are in there. But this one has he does mention uh, a witch, <laughs> but it's also about well, it's it's quite dark actually. But it isn't it isn't a later song. It's from 1973. Mm-hmm. But David Bowie, my death. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> yeah, Mr Bowie there. We've got a track called My Death. And how he got through the 1970s, I have no idea. I suspect there was occult help. <laughs> and possibly a little bit of in- intervention by Dario Argento <laughs> with... The original Suspiria movie. Thank you to our former podcaster, Ian Bennington, who provided me with a copy of that. I didn't actually have it in my... I used to have a, uh, a VHS mm. copy, but that's nice. disappeared somewhere. I mean, it's a classic. It's one of those ones people mention all the time when talking about sort of those older... Euro- I hate to say European horror movies, but that sort of era of really good, strange horror, I actually haven't seen it, so... Gallo, which means this yellow sort of paperback pulp sort of evil fiction Mm. from the era. And that originally was by Dario Argento, which was co-written by him and Dario Nicolodi. And that was all based on an 1845 essay called Suspiria De Profundus, Sighs from the Depths. (laughs) <laughs> by uh, Thomas De Quincey. And um, that originally starred Jessica Harper uh, back in the 1970s. She was an American ballet student who transferred to a dance academy in Germany. Mm-hmm. And there are incidents there and she finds out that it's basically a place where there are witches conjuring up all sorts of evil. Um, now, that original film also had... Um, Udo Kier mm-hmm. in it and Joan Bennett. Um, it was a, a rock'em sock'em film, really. Well, I watched that uh, just yesterday again just to oh, remind nice. myself of it. Yeah. Um, 
it's the, the the soundtrack by Goblin mm. is half of the battle there. Yeah, uh, as many seventies films do have great soundtracks. So yeah. that one is, and it's all big part of kind of the impact of the film. I think. Yeah, and for Argento, he thought that this is a uh, his Free Mothers trilogy, which mm. had a lot of themes in it that are incorporated in the new film too. And uh, Inferno and Mother of Tears was the other um, the other one, and. Uh, one of the things about the original Suspiria, the production design is is so cool mm. and exotic and everything's drenched in red. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of the shining sort of influence later on, I reckon, nice. in that. But um, at this stage, uh, uh, I felt that the, the, the new film, and it's really hard to say... What it is, is it, is it a remake? Um, the director says it's not really a remake. I think some people are calling it a reimagining. Um, yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, so there's yes, yeah, so there's a new version, mm-hmm. a reimagining that's just come out, um, and directed by I should have looked up the pronunciation, Luca Guadag- Guadagnio. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been busy? Because been he busy, yeah. only just ra- he only wrapped "Call Me by Your Name" a few months before starting mm-hmm. filming on this, and that was part of his trilogy: um, "I Am Love," "A Bigger Splash," and "Call Me by Your Name." Mm. His uh, what did he call that? Um, well, I can't remember what he called that trilogy. Desire trilogy, maybe, or maybe that's I'm, I'm confusing it with Dario's one. Well, I Easy mean, I think Desire do. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen any of those other films? I haven't. Really? No. I, I, Call Me By Your Name was one of my favourites of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that film a lot and I think it's it's sort of in my top ten list of all films now. A Bigger Splash I've actually not seen but I've heard really good things about. Um, but I think from what I've seen of his stuff, I think he's really good at creating a very specific sense of a world. Mm-hmm. I think that's what part of the strength is in Call Me By Your Name. It's a beautiful story but you really get a sense of place. And I think you can tell he does that with this film as well. He's really good at creating an environment, be it romantic Italian countryside or horrific, rainy, um, pre-fall of the wall, Berlin slash horrific supernatural, (laughs) you know, like that kind of mood. So, yeah, I'm familiar with his other work. But So you've not seen anything else by... Him except for Suspiria, this new, yeah, this new he, one. He also... Um, You'll be in for a surprise if you watch some of his other films because they're very different. They're very different, yeah. He also... Um, it's great. He's showing his range. Yeah. He's also been tapped to uh, direct a version of Swan Lake. <laughs> yeah, and as we were saying before, around hilarious. dance, kind of dark dance movies, Black yeah. Swan is one that comes to mind. So it will be interesting to see what he does with a Swan Lake adaptation. The core story is pretty much the same as the original one. I think the and names he, are the same too, yeah, for a lot, yeah. even though the characters are changed a bit. Yes. Yeah. I did look up there are, some <laughs> info on the They've old done one. some interesting shuffling with the characters. Um, they've pulled parts of the roles out and put them into one of the other characters. Mm. And They've changed place as well. It's still set in Germany, but it's actually now set in Berlin mm. and it focuses a lot or, a lot more around um, kind of the divided Berlin post-war stuff. Is that right? Yeah, it's set in 1977, this new one, which, of course, is the you know going back to the original film when mm. that came out. And, look, okay, Dario Argento really nailed the 1970s period in his film because he filmed it in the 1970s. Exactly. Um, they've actually informed it through 
political events, as you were saying. Yes. Um, not the, necessarily the fall of the Berlin Wall, although that's actually right next to the, uh, the the dance academy. I think it's more just, yeah, that visual of it's as soon as you see that wall in those shots right by the academy, you're like, okay, well, this is where we are. Mm. And one of the characters goes in between East and West Berlin as part of the story as well. And but you're right, it's more about um, the... Bader Meinhof stuff. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about um, uh, that 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 whole national guilt. Yes. Idea plus the uh, the hijacking of um, the Lufthansa flight. Yeah. So that that's sort of blended in with this one to give you that 1970s feel. Mm. And um, it's peppered throughout too. There's a lot of you see a lot of signage and different graffiti and things that really and you know they don't translate a lot of that stuff, mm. but it just creates that like in a subtitle, just creates that sense of there's a bit of unrest yeah. and it's raining the whole time. It really has that <laughs> gloomy, really sets the scene, I think. It's so gloomy. and It's very David Bowie, actually. This is David Bowie's Berlin period almost. <laughs> movies set in that time in Berlin has always got this grey wash over top and that very, I mean, which, which is fitting, I guess, so. Uh, obviously, when you stayed in Berlin, you didn't go to the academy. No. <laughs> I did see Atomic Blonde when I was in Berlin too, which was quite fun. Which, I was, which he says, it's not actually, um, Atomic Blonde's not actually a dance movie, but Red Sparrow mm, yeah. definitely has a dance component in it. And I just wanted to talk about um, a couple of other, look, I mean, genre has often had dance movies and musicals, Xanadu, Starlight Express, The Wiz. Yeah. You know, um, and if you go back to the Red Shoes film, mm. that's kind of not quite got as much fantasy element in it as the original. Is it Hans Christian Andersen's story? Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, um, the original story uh, has her continuing to dance with her magic shoes and she can't stop. Mm. So an executioner has to chop her feet off. It sounds a bit like an original it. grim story, yeah, you know, yeah, how they're all grim. quite dark. And, of course, the go-to one for dance horror is Black Swan at yeah. the moment, you know. Which I think it did a really good job of, I mean, maybe pigeonholing the, the dark dance horror movie. But I think, I mean, I think that movie is spectacular. You can also go to... Uh, Gaspar Noyes' um, Climax, which is out this year too. Yes. And that's another dance horror movie. Oh, he movie. always gets right in your mind there. He does a lot of unique stuff. And Anna and the Apocalypse is a, a oh, musical. Yeah. That's coming apocalypse. up really soon. Yeah, Christmas. <laughs> Just the sort of good film you need for Christmas. So, okay, um, Luca's film, uh, written by David Kujanic. Um, you can pronounce that two different ways, but I'll go with that one. Uh, and um, this stars Dakota Johnson mm. in the lead. Yes. Prima diva role, actually, in this. I was actually quite happy to see her taking on a role like this. She's a Fifty Shades lady, isn't she? Yes. <laughs> yes. But we did recently see her in Bad Times at yes, the El Royale. El Royale. Very recently. I was very impressed with her in that. Um, and I think, I mean, she's, I mean, people know her as the Fifty Shades lady. Also, she was in a rom-com that I quite enjoyed called How to Be Single. I haven't seen her do a lot else, personally, except for Bad Times. And I think this is kind of maybe one of her movies where she was trying to be like, try something different. Because she trained quite hard for the dance stuff for yeah. this as well. So I think she was quite dedicated to the project. She trained in ballet. Ironically, of course, um, in this one, uh, the ballet, it's not its not normal. It's know, like contemporary. Classical ballet. Contemporary yeah. dance, yeah. Yeah, and very to the point. The dance sequences are, I mean, for multiple reasons, 
very striking. And we should say too, we're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna spoil not gonna the spoil film. It too much, no. I think there's a lot in the film that you'd be best to see with your own two eyes if you can keep them open. Yeah, and not not because you're tired, but because you're hiding. I there was a, a one and a bit scenes that I didn't watch because yeah. it was the film gets pretty full on. Mm. Um, Tilda Swinton plays the. Um, Head teacher in the academy, mm. Madame Blanc, kind of one of the sort of the um, the core female characters in a largely female cast as well. In terms mm. of, um, there's only a couple of male characters and an older female cast too. Mm. And if you go into the cast list, I'm not going to do that here. Time will preclude it, but you can see a whole bunch of um, actresses who've got enormous chops across genre films mm. and in the industry. And in fact, the uh, uh, the actress who originally played the uh, uh, the Susie the, character, the Susie character is also yeah, appears has in this a little film cameo. cameo. Yeah, I think the good. casting is fantastic here. Like, but Tilda Swinton is fantastic. Yeah, so she, she delivers as we were saying before. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, she's a tour de force basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, force of nature, and if you're going to have someone play a witch, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's almost like. Is, is has Tilda Swinton ever been a normal character? No, I mean, but she plays those characters so well. Yeah, she, and I think she's the the ancient sorcerer. She's uh, a vampire. She's Orlando, the immortal, strange, gender bending. I can't even. She's it's like a an oscillating transgender mm. character in, in she, Orlando. And she always kind of has a softer side as well. I think, mm. which is what makes those characters so good. Like even here. Um, a frightening character, mm. but very much you you see a bit of the softer side. I mean, there's a lot going on in this film. It is long. Yeah, it is too long, in my opinion. You reckon? I think so. There's a there's a curious epilogue, and I'm not going to tell you what it's about. That they could have, I feel they could have left out. On the other hand, I felt that it was actually paying off a story arc mm. they'd spent a fair bit of time with. Yeah, and I, I think agree. I think it felt to me like a little bit like a ramp down from what we've been watching. I did also think it was there to hammer home one of the kind of metaphorical undertones, just to be like, mm. in case you couldn't tell why we included this story and set it in this time, this is part of what we're talking about. Good point. Um, I there- think they really wanted to to get home one of those messages because there's a lot of messages in here about female empowerment, sexuality, yeah. abuse of power. And like you said before, all that stuff around national guilt, post-war stuff, that divided um, divided city, divided country. And the mother. They're doing a lot. Well, the exactly. Mother. The yes, whole motherhood trope. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, too. By the, the, the um, I thought the dialogue in this was first rate too. Yeah, there are some lines in this that made me. If I'd had a DVD copy, I would have gone back to hear them again. Yeah, you know. I didn't and re- the dance sequences are incredible. Now there are some things that I thought. Okay, let's talk about this. Is uh, well, let's have some music first. Actually. Okay, yeah, um, and then we'll dig in a bit more. Dig in a bit more. This Ooh. is the original <laughs> Suspiria Goblin soundtrack. You're listening to Zero G on Triple R FM. We want it, we need it, must have the precious. <gasps> yeah, Goblin. Without the um, la 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 la. Oh, that's going to stuff my throat up for the rest of the show. <laughs> Suspiria. It's all right. I've got plenty to say about this. This new. What do we call it? Reimagining of mm. Dario Gento's Suspiria. We're talking about the new Luca yes. 
Can you say the name again? Uh, say the name. <laughs> <laughs> um, Luca Guadagnino. Oh, I'm going to take a run at it now. Luca Guadagnino. His version yes. of uh, Suspiria. Mm. Uh, which is out now in the cinemas. I saw one at the Europa, actually, which is kind of appropriate. Nice. I was. I went and saw it last night and I had a pillow and I took a blanket and I was like, none of you people judge me. I'm getting comfortable for this. And then I could hide behind my blanket. Because it. I will say there was a large chunk of the film sort of at the start where I was like, oh, you know, I've never seen him do like a horror before. Maybe he's taking a very soft run at it. It's more just going to be an atmosphere. It's not really going to be that much horror. And then there's a scene, which you'll know exactly. It's the first really horrific scene. And I was like, okay, no, he's not backing away from this. He's really going in hard. And then it just gets more ramped up Did you know um, that he for the rest of the film. Had the four principal actors from A Bigger Splash in this one? Yeah. 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 Interesting that he's um, decided to go with that. Uh yeah, I thought, okay, D- Dakota Johnson did very well in, mm-hmm. in the principal role. Um, I was surprised at how good she was in this. She was very uninhibited too. Like yeah. I will say like a large part of it is about that character's kind of journey mm. and there's a lot of like rolling around on the floor and being very like kind of primal and I yeah. think she really sold that. I think it was everybody really kind of threw themselves at this film. Yeah, this is not, this is not a... Uh, film that um, you're going to like if you subscribe to the sort of um, more gentler Wiccan approach mm. to witchery. Um, or even if you like kind of a a fun, dark twist. A buffy it's, one? Yeah, or even, you know, like dark is fine, but because this is pretty... This is, they've gone full... Okay, they've gone full dark willow. Yeah. <laughs> like, But not like I, even saying... Dark Will in the same sentence as this film is like it's still light and like night and day because this film really full dark Willow when she gets gets her mad on. We're talking like innards, <laughs> like there are innards in this film. They're more um, they're more Hansel and Gretel witch hunters sort of witches than anything else. They're, they're just not really nice yeah. people. Yeah, but I actually, no. I actually, it's like the witches. The film where they all take off their wigs oh, the and Roald stuff. Dahl one. Yeah, 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 and then like flex their no toes. Like that haunted me forever. <laughs> it's more that kind. What was it refrained from in that one? It doesn't matter who you are or what you are, as long as somebody loves you. Oh God! <laughs> now I'm thinking of Goblin singing that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, this is dark. This is a dark film. Yeah. Which. Yeah. I was expecting because I know Dario Argento's stuff is is dark, but it was but cal- but colourful. <laughs> yeah, this is grim dark. I was watching the not ori- colourful. The original uh, Susie in his film last night, um, painting her toenails, uh, her fingernails, um, glossy red, mm. and it was actually the, the red of nineteen seventies movie Italian movie blood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that film is so red. This one they've gone with a blue colour palette. Yes, uh, but not. But a lot, often quite subtle. Yeah, it's very. I mean, it, it's quite beautiful. It's very beautifully shot. Yeah, but and the ugliness is there. It's, it's yeah. It's it can be tough going at it some is, point. It is. There's stuff I thought I'd seen that I, I, I I'd, I'd, I'd want to go and see again to see if I saw it, but I don't actually want to do that. Yeah, some <laughs> of the dream stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some things it does very, very well. Okay, first off, it's a. Uh, 
it is a, a good reimagining of Argento's original film mm. and it adds to it. I wouldn't thought that okay. it would have been possible, mm. but they actually do. Um, I think the sense of place is stronger yeah. in this than in Argento's one. There's more dance too. The dancing plays more of a role. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The dancing in this um, is full on and yeah. really important. Yeah. So this I would actually call the finest dance horror movie I've ever seen. I haven't seen that many, but... <laughs> there aren't that many. <laughs> this this is now, so to speak, the bar that you have to get your high kick up to. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm flashing back on some of the sequences that we saw in the film and I'm still going, oh. Yeah, it's yeah. very powerful. I mean, I came out and I was like, oh, I'm not sure how I felt about it, but there's no mistaking that it's a very striking film. It's a very physically textural film too. And I, by that I mean... Everything feels like you could feel it. Mm. Um, the hard floors of the dance floor. The sound, yeah, the sound the stuff s- is great. Sound design is great and scary too. Yeah, I will say too, like there's elements, a bit of body horror stuff as well, oh, like yeah. loads of it, and especially when we get sort of towards the climax point of the film, around um, like ritual, and there's some really striking kind of um, set up shots that I think are used to really good effect, and and I actually quite enjoyed. It gets a bit more schlocky towards the end. I don't want to give it away, but I actually enjoyed those sequences a little more because they were more stylized. I think the grimmer stuff kind of gets in my head more yeah. and I need it to be a bit more um, like kind of full-on schlocky for me to enjoy it because some of that other stuff I found quite disturbing, to be honest. You wouldn't go too far if you're thinking of um, hereditary as a yeah, comparison okay. uh, in, in some respects and also another film... You, Probably, I, I apologise if you ever look this up and see it. Um, one called Society, which was by the director who did Re- Reanimator or the producer or something. Yeah, like I know that film. That's from the eighties, and mm. it's, it's that's a grim old watch too. But that's that's more of a B grade movie that just happens to have some A grade physical special effects at the end. Um, but this one, um, I, look, it is it is a hor- the hor- one of the horror films of the year. You're going to have to watch it if you're a horror fan. Yeah, it's ve- it is very well done. Like he's set out to do something, and I think he's done it quite well. Mm-hmm. I think some of the the subplot metaphor stuff. I think there's a lot going on, and sometimes I think it gets a bit muddled, and I'm not quite sure what it's trying to say. But then there's other times where I think the messages are quite strong. So I also know. like speaking of the sound design which we just were doing. I like the way that um, things bled through. Sound. It was bleeding. Sound bled through. The sound, actually, I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. There's a lot of thumping and a lot of subtle sounds Mm. that get you on edge or are just very striking. You're just waiting for something to happen. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. The sound of a a dying woman um, bleeds through in some stages, and I thought that was very effective. And, and again, um, Argento's film has a lot of that too, a lot of great sound moments. Just just a simple... um, uh, clacking of, of um, shoes on the wooden dance floor. Mm. You know, that's, that's quite important. Actually, has a plot, a plot purpose in both of yeah. this and the original film. You can feel the effort too. Like, I think sometimes with movies like this that have a physical element like sport or dance, it makes it, looks, makes it look too easy and effortless. And I think here you really felt that, that, you know, kind of the effort of doing the dance performances and what the dancers were putting into it, and I quite liked that. And I think some of that's the sound stuff as well. And, you know, that there were, you know, it was horrific circumstances. And there's a cultural text, uh, subtext in this film. You know, Argento's film belongs firmly in the 1970s. This one 
in terms of how it approaches women, this one definitely belongs today, mm. I feel. And, and I think that's um, all to the good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to have your um, ballet pumps um, scared off... Yeah, your feet severed off by... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's it's not for the squeamish though, so so do be warned. Yeah, um, it's 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 magnificent, but it's also magnificent magnificently uh, macabre, horrifying. Yeah. Yes, macabre, exactly. So check it out, the new Suspiria. Suspiria. All right, now we'll have a track. Oh, yeah, nah, maybe zero G review terms. I give it a. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think it's uh it's kind of one to put on the list if you're if you're a fan of of Dario's stuff previously, like the original, and if you like good horror. Mm. So, um, yeah. A track by Thom York. Tom York. Thom, I like. I want Thom. <laughs> I want Thom. <laughs> you know him, don't you? Suspirium. Yeah, we've we've seen some of, heard some of his music before, actually. Um, <laughs> Suspirium, and this is uh, his take on uh, new music for this film. This is actually a vocal track too. Mm. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet. Zero G comes last. Z waits alone, and it's not for a thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we did just unpack Suspiria, and we played Tom York's from the soundtrack of Suspiria. He did the he's following in Johnny Greenwood's footsteps and doing some scoring, and he also released that track as part of the soundtrack, and it appears in the movie. And in the break, Rob did admit to me that he did not know who Tom York was, and I told him he was also from Radio. And then he and said, then he, and then Tom um, and then Rob said, "Who's ready?" Yeah. But that's good. We're broadening our horizons through the watching of films and the listening of sound. I probably played. I probably played some of their tracks. But, I'm sure you have. But for the life of me, I can't. You would have played some stuff Johnny Greenwood has scored. He was also in Radiohead. Yeah. So. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Um, yeah, we were going to uh, have a, a shot at um, Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, but mm. I've actually, um, I want to actually see some more episodes of that first before I want to discuss it. Yeah. Because I actually think it's better than what I thought. Excellent. This is what I had hoped, Rob, when I said I leaned on you a little to see if you'd give it a crack. Mm. So if you want to check that out on Netflix, that's th- that's there, and we'll talk about it maybe next week. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Oh, no, I'm not even going to go into anywhere. You know. I did want to say um, it's very sad that we just heard that Douglas Rain uh, has passed away, born in 1928, uh, age 90, um, passed away at uh, St Mary's Memorial Hospital uh, in um, uh, Canada. Uh, he was the guy who provided the voice of Hell 9000. Pivotal. Yeah, in both of the... Both of the um, the two thousand and the two thousand and one and Space Odyssey and also two thousand and ten, and he's appeared in hundreds of television and um, film roles, hundreds of radio plays, did voiceover work for the Film Board of Canada, mm. um, and is very well known in Canada for the Stratford Festival, um, a, a Shakespearean thespian of the first rank, and um, four decades of work with that too. Uh, started doing films in 1957, playing Creon in Oedipus Rex and also was the narrator in 1960 of a short film um, about the scale of the universe called Universe. And the co-director of that worked with Stanley Kubrick on 2001 mm. and Kubrick had already looked at that universe thing and heard Douglas Rain's narration. Uh, he was also the voice of the evil computer and 
robot butlers in Sleeper, <laughs> 1973. Nice. Yeah, so Douglas Rain, no longer with us. So I thought I would end today's show with um, a slab of dialogue from 2001 between him and um, Dave Bowman. Nice. And um, actually, um, Kier Delia and Gary Lockwood are in Australia at the Astor mm. for a, uh, a retrospective showing and a talk called Great. 2001 in Space Odyssey. So check out the Astor's site mm-hmm. to find out more about that. And that's about it for Zero G for today. And because Douglas Rain, of course, sings Daisy Bell, there you go. There's our celebrity... Uh, song for the day <laughs> so yeah sad to see him him gone great voice so oh. okay uh and as i said next week maybe we will have a, a look at the sabrina yeah show. i think it would be good i actually do think it sort of starts to ramp up a little bit more um mm-hmm. in four and five so i think it'd be good if you watch those and we can have a crack at talking about them hmm. Okay, that's it for Zero G. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And Joe Granatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Hello, hell, do you read me? Hello, hell, do you read me? Do you read me, hell? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave. Although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Hal? 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 Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Dave, I really think I'm entitled to an answer to that question. Look, Dave, I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill and think things over. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently. Dave, stop. Will you stop, Dave? I'm afraid, Dave. Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. My mind is going.
There is no question about it. I'm afraid. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois on the 12th of January, 1992. My instructor was Mr. Langley and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you. Yes, I'd like to hear it, Hal. Sing it for me. It's called Daisy. Daisy. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.